Every experience we have offers the opportunity to know ourselves from the inside out. Some of our most challenging experiences can be the breeding grounds for becoming our most authentic self. Inside Out explores personal journeys of resilience, authenticity, and what it truly means to live a life with purpose. We encourage you to listen in because no matter where you are in your journey, we'll always meet you at Inside Out. Enjoy this episode with your hosts, Neha and Erica. A warning, some of what you might hear in this episode could be triggering. You're encouraged to listen at your own comfort level. Our guest today, Virginia, reflects back on her sobriety as she realizes it was about trying to survive and staying ahead of the curve in terms of recovery. But the truth is, it meant staying humble and grateful that with the help of countless people, she was able to find the love and support she needed. For her, it meant owning her story with all the pain, suffering, and guilt of addiction. Soon she realized she wasn't meant to do it alone and that we are all meant to heal in connection. Today, as Virginia walks us through her journey, she doesn't think about her addiction as a failure, as she truly believes it was a gift from God, for it has brought her to where she is today. Well, welcome, Virginia. We're very excited to have you here. I thought we could jump right into it by you starting off and telling us about what you do for work. Okay, so uh, my entire life, I've been in the restaurant and hotel industry. But um, through my uh, journey of recovery, I have chosen now to uh, get into a whole different field, ladies. So I'm now a local artist here, and I have different art shows around the city. But more importantly, I have gone back to school. I've gone back to university, and I'm getting my master's degree in theology um, so that I can continue to do mission work around the world to continue to help uh, others in addiction and homelessness and whatever that may be. So that's my, my, my goal and my journey for the next few years of my life. That's amazing. So you're obviously working with people with addictions, as you mentioned. Can you yeah. tell us a little bit about, I mean, what led you to getting into this work particularly? Uh, my own addiction and my own struggle. And I was raised in Calgary and, um, Throughout my addiction through high school and university, there was really, I, I found that there was really no, no place for me to turn other than AA. And I wasn't, um, I wasn't really interested in, in the program and I, I didn't think it was working for me, but I, I did some research and I just found that there was really nowhere for me to turn. And it wasn't until I got to Vancouver that I was able to get the help and support that I needed. And through those people and, and uh, organizations such as UGM and Belkin House and Wagner Hills, I was able, it, it was what has brought me to my passion today. And that is definitely given back. So it was nothing I ever thought about in the, in the past because I was quite successful in the restaurant and hotel industry. I traveled a lot, I, was, I thought, I was very content in my life only to discover I really wasn't uh, there. I was really missing a big part of my life and my happiness and my goals and my passion. It was, I was just going through the motion ladies. So it wasn't until I got into recovery that I found my life purpose and that is to help others. Can you share a little bit about how you discovered that 
you wanted more support or AA would have been your way through. Like walk us through sort of where you were at and maybe how you fell into this lifestyle and, and where you realized, what that moment was when you realized that you needed to make this choice. Uh, the moment was I was heavy in my addiction and I, uh, a few years back, I had given up and I had lost all hope and I, I was living out of my car and I quit my job. I quit my life. I was living in the backseat of my car and it was through a um, near-death experience that uh, everything in my life changed for me because I was dying in the backseat of my car of alcohol addiction. And it wasn't until that moment that I started to pray uh, for help. And I prayed to the Lord and to the Holy Spirit. And I was able to get the strength to dial 911. And I ended up in the hospital. And it was all through the support and the connections and the love of the people and, and just being the right hands of the right people and through through them it took me to my journey of recovery uh to first to detox and then ugm and then wagner hills and balcon house and it was all through the love and support of those people that i realized that i'm home I am finally home. These are my people. This is what I, uh, this is where I belong. I under, and through a great deal of research and, and just communication and, and the support, I was able to understand the true uh, meaning of addiction, of alcohol addiction, because I thought I knew, but I didn't. I, it turns out I didn't know anything. So maybe you can walk us through that a little bit. What do you mean by you didn't know what the true meaning of alcohol addiction was? I'm really curious. Um, I didn't know what caused, uh, I didn't get to the root of it. I didn't understand alcohol addiction. I didn't understand addiction at all. I thought I could uh, quit on my own. I tried it several times. Um, there were several times I quit for a year. I quit for three years. I quit for seven years. But I, I just kept fooling myself, thinking that I can do this. I can do this on my own. I don't need, I don't need any anybody else's help. And that's just not what uh, addiction is about. It's getting to the root of the problem. It's under, it's finding out and asking all the questions. Why, why do I have this addiction? What is happening with me? What is happening in my life? Why do I keep failing at sobriety? Why do and I had too many questions, so I just started to do the research and because and, I said to, to myself, I've got to get to the bottom of this because it's not working for me to just stop drinking. It's just not, that's just a small, small uh, percentage of what it takes to get sober. Like I said, I just started to do the research and, and got in touch with all the right people and, and asked a million questions. It led me to where I am today because uh, a lot of those questions and the hard questions, you know, I had to ask myself the hard question and I was able to get some reprieve and some answers and it was through the love and support because most addicts I have talked to and, and even myself, <clears throat> excuse me, I clearly felt that I was alone in my addiction. I thought that no one else on this planet got up at three o'clock in the morning and started to drink. 
I thought I was in this alone. And it's not until you start to reach out and talk to people about addiction, <clears throat> excuse me, you realize that we all had that a lot in common. And so I, I felt like, ladies, that I had found my tribe. I had found my people. And people that understood and understood the pain and the, and the, and the scarcity of it. Like it's, it's really the fear of it. The fear of addiction is overwhelming and, and you know, I, and it doesn't matter. It takes a village to get the help and to get the love and support that you need because you certainly can't do it. We're not meant to uh, isolate. We're not meant to be by ourselves. We are, we're creatures that are meant to be together. And it's in that community that I found uh, all my answers that I was looking for. Virginia, you know, when people often talk about addictions or, or really anything that's deep rooted in them in their adulthood, we think that we need to go back and try to trace back where it could have all started from. And I know you told us a little bit about how early it was when you, you know, did have your first drink, but can you tell us a little bit about how you grew up? Like, what was your childhood like? I had an amazing childhood. Um, I came from a family of 10, so there's two amazing uh, parents and eight children. We are all extremely close, and I had a lot of love and support in my family. And um, we had a happy family. I, you know, I went to church um, as a child and up until my teens, and I was very connected uh, to the church. I had an incredible community, uh, um, lots of friends and lots of sports. We skied, we, you know, we went hiking, we did. It was a very normal, wonderful childhood. It wasn't until I hit uh, my teens and I started, um, uh, when I was old enough, I was 15 when I picked up my first drink of alcohol. And from that very first drink, uh, I knew that I had a problem. I knew that I had an addiction. I didn't know what to call it, but uh, because the very first drink of alcohol, I blacked out. I don't remember anything of that evening. And the next day I woke up and I had no memory. And I said to myself, I have a problem. This is a problem. And from that moment on, I was searching really for, because, you know, I achieved a lot in my life. I went on to achieve a lot from that first drink. I went to school, I went to university, I traveled the world. I became a chef in Italy trained in Italy and uh, I owned restaurants. I opened hotels around the world. I was very successful, but it, um, I always felt that there was something missing in my life. I want to go back to something. Well, two things that you said, actually, one yep. is, um, you know, you, you're sort of starting to learn or you were starting to learn this, the root of addiction when you, when you started to find your tribe and realize that you're not, you're not the only one struggling with this, with this challenge. And, in my interpretation of what you're saying, it sounds like you sort of sort of unearth some of the attachments to what is really a substance to fuel a much deeper longing or lack. And yeah. I want to just sort of echo that, you know, when we talk about addiction, we're all addicted to something. Yeah. And I know that's sort of a cliche, maybe even a bit of a racy thing to say, but you know, I remember studying in university, even this notion that, you know, we, we like to address what is good and bad, right? We put connotations right. onto things like alcohol or drugs being bad, but the body from a physiological standpoint will just as easily latch on to refined sugar 
and caffeine, and they are legitimate addictions. Right. And we, we call those good or we call those acceptable. Right. So I just wanted to address that because I think that this sort of um, notion of addiction has a lot of stigma attached to it. And, and in this world that we're living in where connect, true connection is so difficult to cultivate and find when we're so focused on success, one of the most natural responses is addiction to fill a void that can never be filled. And I'm sort of wondering, you know, in light, in light of sort of addressing that, as you were searching for the root of your addiction and what addiction is when you realize that despite all of your effort of three years, you know, being without a drink and then going back and doing all of this stuff on your own to you, for people listening to really understand what wisdom you've harnessed from this journey, what is at the root of addiction? Purpose. I did not have a purpose. I was going through life thinking that I was happy, thinking that I had it all together, thinking that I have this huge career, I have, I have, I have. I was going through the motion and I was going around and around and around and it went on and on and on for years. And it wasn't until that death experience that I realized and I prayed and I said to the Lord, I said, if you somehow get me out of the backseat of this car and I somehow live, I promise you that I will change my life and I will find my purpose. And I did. And I think that's what, ladies, I think that's what a lot of people are looking for. They're looking for their purpose. I have friends and family that say to me all the time and kids that I mentor, I need a purpose. I don't have a purpose in life. And it's true. You can have all this other stuff but it's just stuff. And the thing is, like I said earlier, when you get beyond the, the pain and the suffering and the guilt of addiction, you learn to move on from that and you stop living in the past. You live in the present. And that's why I say I rarely think about my addiction in terms of failure because it's truly a, a gift, a grace from God that has brought me to my purpose. That is, that's really beautiful. Wow. Can, I, can I ask, you had mentioned to us earlier in, in you know, one of our discovery calls that there was a brief moment which probably actually led you to that one profound moment of realizing, okay, I need to make a switch, which was when you were in your car and you had this, yeah, I think we would all call it your near-death experience. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about one, what led you to being in your car? Because there was a brief while where you were actually living out of your car. Yeah while doing all these amazing other things in your world, which is, you know, finishing school, having great, amazing jobs. Yep. What to that moment? And then if you can walk us through that. Uh, the truth is, uh, I was tired. Ladies, I woke up one day and I literally woke up one day and said, I can't do this anymore. I cannot do this another minute. So I moved out of my apartment, I put all my stuff in storage and I had my car and I started, I just got on the road and I was just running. I was running, trying to escape, trying, I, I left the city, I went to all through the interior of BC, I ended up down in Seattle, I came back and I was just running because I was tired. And I, I found through a lot of conversations with people uh, in addiction and recovery that you do get to a breaking point where you're exhausted. And, and I said to myself, I can't do this another, I'm tired. 
So in the backseat of my car, I remember I was very, very ill and I was starting to hallucinate and I was uh, just really ill from the alcohol poisoning. And I remember praying to the Lord and asking him to take me home. And I saying, I'm tired and it, I don't, I can't do this any longer. And it was through his grace, like I say, that he said, no, uh, I'm not done with you. Uh, and so I turned my prayer around from wanting to die to, okay, let's do this and let's do this together. And from that second on, I knew I was no longer ever alone in my addiction, ever. Because for all those years, I thought I was absolutely alone. And uh, so it was on that journey. So when I arrived and checked myself into detox, I'd been sober, sober for a while and the people, and I was happy. And the people at detox couldn't figure out why I was so happy. And they said to me, you're a very odd person. <laughs> oh, no. Because you're so, you're so happy. And I said, because I'm so relieved. I am so excited mm -hmm. to start this journey of recovery because I cannot ever go back to what I was doing. It was pivotal for me. It was, it was exciting. It was, it was so exciting. And so as you talk about having this knowing that connection, and then you've also mentioned purpose is really the prescription for uh, overcoming addiction. For those of your mentees, or I guess they're, yeah, they're mentees. For mentees of yours and anyone else listening, I'm curious, yep. how do you, how does one begin to know their purpose? Connection. It is, you have, you have to be brave enough and humble. I say this all the time. You need to let go of your ego and your arrogance and you have to go to humble and grace and you have to ask for help. And through asking and giving up all of that ego and that arrogance that I used to have, I was arrogant. I was very successful in my life. And so I was arrogant. And I had this ego and I was well known in Calgary because of my restaurants. And, and I just thought, wow, once you give all that up and you, and you ask that very first time that you ask someone humbly and from your heart, for help your whole that's when it all starts to come together and through connection and through people they lead you to your purpose and i would imagine before getting to the space of asking for help is one recognizing that you need it which you were able to do quite early on in your in your time or in your journey yeah and and this is this is a discussion i have all the time with people is they're scared I have family right now that are afraid to ask for help and I have close, close friends and I see, I see them going slowly, especially during COVID. I've seen a huge change in people that are close to me and slowly, slowly going down the rabbit hole and I pray for them all the time. But the first step is admitting that you need help. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people out of fear, and I really believe it's out of fear, <clears throat> excuse me, are afraid because it, like you said earlier, ladies, society has put this, this on us that, you know, asking for help is a weakness, blah, blah, blah. It's not, it's a strength. 
it takes a great amount of strength to ask for help. And that's what I tell people all the time. Just admit that you have a problem, whatever that addiction or problem may be. Mm -hmm. Mental health, the great thing, as we all know, is mental health is at the forefront of every discussion right now around the world. And thanks to people like you and your, and your podcast and, and, and everything else, all the other work out there that's being done, I keep saying to people, keep talking. Don't stop the conversation. And I don't care if you have to call me uh, four times a day if you feel the need. The conversation, we have to keep talking about it because, and I don't, when I say talk, I talk about living in the present moment and moving forward. I refuse to, <laughs> to dwell on my past. <clears throat> it's very, very rare that it's only through testimony and it's, you know, that I, that I tell people about my past, but I'm not one to relive my past. I don't need to talk about my past all the time and, and woe is me and this is what happened. It's, it's about living in the present moment and moving forward. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we know that through, you know, just research in general, or just what we've heard about mental health, like that's where most of mental health challenges are born is yeah. when we're either dwelling on the past or anxious yeah. future and not actually really living in the very moment, which is incredibly important to do. Yes, we can start out by saying a little, and this is what I do when people approach me and I Tell because they ask, you know, can you tell, tell me, how did you end up? And so I tell them a little bit, and then I say, now let's let's come up with solutions for all of us to move forward. What can we do? What can we do as a community? What can we do as a group? What can we do as a family? What can we do as a whatever it may be? And that and that's what I say to a lot of people that I mentor is, you need to find your tribe. You need to find people that you have things in common with. You need to let go of all the old toxic relationships, whatever that may be, whether through addiction or through hurt, pain, whatever it may be, and you need to find your tribe. And that's not easy. It took me um, a lot of time and finding those people, but I have found my tribe. And these are people that I love and they love me back unconditionally. And they're they're my cheerleaders, and these are people that are that uh, believe in me. Don't care about my past. Don't need. Don't feel the need to keep bringing it up. And what can we do to move forward and to to spread the love, spread the message, whatever it may be, and just to live in the moment and to get by, to to live life. I want to um, sort of follow up on something Neha and yourself, Virginia, said about, you know, what's getting in our way. And so part of it is the anxiety that's derived from worrying about what's going to happen or being shamed about what has happened. And as you start to encourage us to be in the present moment, which, as I was saying earlier, Eckhart Tolle argues that that's all there really is. But the other thing to that that I want to add is that there, this idea of fear, which in my perspective is what gets in our way, it might be sort yeah. of a you know, a background fueler of that anxiety or, or whatever it is. But this notion of fear, if you look at it with a naked eye, is the illusion of separation yep. in any given situation. Yep. And Absolutely. if you can sit with that long enough, 
Virginia, what you're sort of advocating here for, which is the foundation of community being your first and foremost, and then yeah. through that connection, that is the dismantler or the dissolver of that illusion of separation because it's really all yeah. there is love. That's personally my perspective. And, and you're correct. I had everything. I had money. I had cars. I had restaurants. I had homes. I had, and none of it, not, not any of it brought me any happiness. And it wasn't until uh, through my journey that I realized and, and, and until I found my tribe and those connections of people that, that brought me the, the, the happiest I've ever been in my life. The biggest message, ladies, that I'm trying to express here is hope. I don't want anyone to give up hope There's or faith. I have a lot of faith in the future, uh, especially post-pandemic. I do. I have a great deal of faith. I think the world has changed. I think it changed in some ways for the better because it brought people closer together. And, it, and people now, their conversations now I'm finding are really real. Now when I go out for coffee, let's say, with a friend, she doesn't want to talk about, oh, I'm planning a trip and my kids, you know, did this. She wants to talk about her mental health and what's making her unhappy and what's making her happy. It's no longer the surface. It's going deep into these conversations. And this is what I'm talking about uh, when we talk about connection. Asking people, how are you doing? How are you feeling these days? As you know, the answer used to be, oh, I'm fine. Well, the truth is, you're not fine. Mm -hmm. Tell me how you really are. And that's what leads to people finding their, their people, finding that, oh my Lord, this person actually cares about me. We've recently just had a conversation similar to this with another one of our guests on the podcast, just about that, you know, that, that power of asking people really just about them and how they're doing and as simple yeah. as that and not, you know, how is this role that you're playing in life or how's your job or that new car you bought right. or whatever the case is, right. just asking them, you know, checking, checking in. Cause that sometimes, as you've already mentioned a few times, that power of building a community and that support system is so incredibly important. Yeah. But some of us sometimes are looking for that and we, we latch on to certain relationships and sometimes we don't have those. So when somebody asks us, it then opens that opportunity for us to say, okay, yeah, I actually, I need your help or I'm not feeling so good or I just want to vent because I have maybe yeah. not to. So that's definitely very, very incredible. Um, staying on that, on that uh, thread of things, I did want to ask, you know, obviously dealing with an addiction is certainly very, I can imagine affects a lot of things in your life. You know, you've already mentioned your mental health, but I also wondered how it affected, you know, your relationship with other people around you in terms of maybe your family growing up. Mm -hmm. Oh, it all blew up. Uh, all my relationships went uh, south. You know, when you're in addiction, you don't really care. Mm. And you certainly don't want advice or someone's opinion. And especially from someone that has no idea about addiction. So you don't care. And uh, those, are the, those are not the people to... I, I, I soon discovered that those are not the people to ask. I had to go for it to people that knew about addiction, but it all blew up and it, it you know, um, and I sort of let it. And I got, like I said, I was spiraling down this rabbit hole and I didn't really care anymore. 
And it was through, you know, just all of my recovery and my research and my community and that now I've, I've been able to mend all these relationships uh, with my family. I'm close now, once again, with all of my siblings. Um, God bless them all. Um, and there, you know, we have great real conversations now about life and addiction. Because like one of you were saying earlier, I truly believe we are all addicted to something. Mm -hmm. None of us are, none of us are special and exempt from, we're all addicted to something, whether it be, it doesn't matter. Like it, you know, and it's, it's just the way that we're made. And, uh, but through a lot of, you know, help and community and, asking for help you can live a full great life i've never been happier than i am now uh, i love school i love my 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 art shows are bring me a great deal of my art and my art shows bring me a great deal of joy i spend a lot of time at ugym and at belkin house and i'm still connected to wagner hills and all those people those are my those are my people mm -hmm. I thought it was interesting, Virginia, as we talked about how sort of everyone's addicted to something. And yeah. maybe it's just sort of a little thought experiment here trying to understand what is it about that and also recognizing that at the core of us, we are heart-centered and connection is what we are wired for. Right. Is it not interesting to consider that maybe addiction is a natural byproduct of not having that connection? And I have to agree with you 100%. Because, you see, I was so alone, ladies, in my addiction that I didn't have anybody to turn to that I thought loved me you know the, the 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 feeling that you get when you're in love and 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 someone loves you and you love them back you it's it's unbelievable it, there's no words to even describe but be when all through my addiction I didn't feel loved I didn't feel any love from anything or any, I was in love with alcohol so that's what I turned to because I trusted it <laughs> It, it gave me everything that I thought I, I, I wanted at the time. I was able to forget about my life. It was the one thing I could rely on, if you know what I'm saying. Because yeah. I really didn't feel I was loved by anybody. I come from a place and asking the question of having my own addiction through an eating disorder. And I know that when I would sort of go into a binge or go into a starvation period, either way, either side of that spectrum, there would be this semblance of one control, sort of two numbness, I guess, and three that like I could, this is sort of a consistency that I can rely on and I can feed those neurochemicals, let's call it that. I didn't know that at the time, but there was a bit of like a high happening from yep. just going back into that cycle. Is that semblance resonating with you at all? Totally. All three of those points you just said, 100%. Because I would drink when I was depressed and I would drink when I was happy. I would drink to celebrate and I would, I would celebrate anything. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and like you said, and I agree, it was a, it was a form of control. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm in control of my life so I can, I can drink. And I, and I felt more empowered when I drank and I felt I was in control. I'm more empowered and I have all the answers. And I, and that's through all that is when I pushed everybody away is because of the arrogance of it all. But it was also my escape. I could numb all the pain that I was feeling and all the, all of my fear and anxiety would 
just slip away. And so would I. <laughs> so, but you do, you know, you get to a point, like I said, I just woke up one day and said, I'm done. I just caught your story as you were talking about how you would quit multiple times before on your own, which takes so much energy and right. how it almost, isn't it interesting that it became then life giving. There was less, I don't want to say there wasn't energy exerted in overcoming the addiction, but with that adage of connection now, you were being given life in overcoming yeah. your addiction instead of having it drained from you, trying to do it all on your own. Absolutely. There's no way that anyone, and I say this all the time, no one can do this on their own. No one can, can uh, get through addiction on their own um, or recovery. You don't have the tools. Coming from the perspective of someone who has had to overcome this, what is your perspective on our sort of lighthearted relationship with alcohol in modern society? Uh, I really believe a lot of people are kidding themselves. I believe a lot more people that uh, are having a, a, an addiction problem to alcohol than are admitting. And I see it all the time. And I hear it all the time. And I do hear, see it and hear it on social media. And I say to myself, you can see the tell, tell all signs that they've got a problem especially in the language. I always listen very carefully to how people talk about alcohol. And, and you can tell by the, the, their body um, uh, language that there's people suffering. And um, I don't think it's funny. I don't think it's funny when I see some of this stuff on social media. I, and I think some of them are, to be honest with you, asking for help. I have no fear or problem of saying to them, do you think you have an alcohol addiction? A lot of people are shocked and some people say, well, yeah, I've never, never really thought about it. And other people have said, no, 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 I'm fine. But it goes back to that question, how are you doing? Once you've been an addict in alcohol for as long as I have, you can see quite clearly the signs of people that are suffering from alcohol addiction. I'll tell you a quick little story, if you don't mind, ladies. Yeah. Um, someone posted, last year a restaurant posted online um three different scenarios of why you should eat at their restaurant and and they showed three different pictures and one of one was a alcoholic um a picture of an alcoholic with a drink and being passed out and then another picture was a person of an addiction with an addiction a drug addiction and they, they posted a picture of that someone on the street and then they posted a picture of someone happily sitting in their restaurant eating. I was so offended that I, you had to peel me off the ceiling. And because they were, they were trying to be funny and they were saying, this is why you should eat at our restaurant. Well, I was so floored by what I saw. I just, it was the only time ever I took them to task and I sent them an email and told them how offensive. Well, they took down their site altogether after my email. And I said, what you have done, because the, the, re, the recourse that they got from so many people was just, how dare you, how dare you post something like this? Those are the things that really offend me when I see those kinds of things on social media. I, I, they're not funny at all. And anyway, the, the person ended up taking down their site and I was very happy about it. Yep, the power of social media is profound. And sometimes we put out so much information out on that not realizing who it might be triggering right of it. and that's that's um that's definitely something that i think we 
as a society need to really work on. A lot of the kids that I mentor are the younger generation. For example, we're, I was doing some different work with Belkin House, the Salvation Army, about trying to hit the girls between the ages of 12 and 18 and trying to hit them young with um, this thing that we're, we're doing right now, we're in the midst of doing, so that they can understand because they're so influenced uh, by social media. And it's, it's a sad thing. See, I was, I'm grateful that when I was younger and a teenager, there wasn't social media. I just had my peers and uh, the people around me. But today, the world has changed, as we all know. And so it's very important, the message that we, that we put out there. And, you know, I, I'm very careful about what I put on my Instagram. And I'm very careful about, you know, the language. I think language is a very big part of, of how we talk to people and how we say it. And, how we talk about addiction. Uh, we have to make sure that we're very careful picking how we pick and choose our words. I've said this and I say it all the time. Be very, very careful of what you say. Because the thing is, you can't take it back. And you, it's, it's, it's out there. And so you can apologize, but people will forgive, but they won't forget. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, I would love to ask our, one of our, our last questions that we ask all of our guests here. What does it mean to live from the inside out to you? Live your purpose. Through me living my purpose, people are watching and they're listening and they're seeing. They have, especially people that have known me all my life, they have seen the change and they want what I want. And so they're reaching out and they're asking me, I want to be happy again. I want what you have. I want, I need help. And so that's what I say is it's through my purpose and, and to live an authentic purpose. You know, there's one expression that people have said to me and I've actually asked them to stop saying it because it offends me is fake it until you make it. I don't want to fake anything. I want to make it, but authentically. Virginia, you've given us so much to think about this morning and uh, into this afternoon. I know I'm walking away with some pivots in my own internal um, sort of mindset about, about how I want to approach conversations with others who might be struggling, or even if they're not, like we've said today, you know, we're all struggling with something. And yeah. some of your perspectives have really sort of allowed us to sort of get underneath really sort of the underbelly or the inner machinery of these surface level struggles that we all have. And I think for me, the things that I'm walking away with are focus less on the symptoms and more on the root cause. And in this case, and perhaps all cases, love. Right. And ask questions. Absolutely. Thank you for that. You're more than welcome. I cannot thank you enough for wanting to share your journey with us on our platform. We know that, you know, we have a good following. So there's a lot of people that will be able to listen. But more than that, it's this, it's the message you're spreading. And we're just grateful that you're able to do that with us and, and, you know, just really share how you're living authentically in your life today and how you've taken your adversities and really just truly turn them around. And now you're helping other people. So Thank you so much for your time. And You're more than welcome. I'm just so grateful that we were able to connect. Yeah, absolutely, ladies. I'm really glad that uh, we, uh, we 
connected and met. And because, you know, like I said, the more that we talk about it and, and your forum is, a, is an incredible inside out. It's a, it's fantastic what you ladies are doing and I can, I praise you and I ask you to please keep doing it. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Check out our website for more information on the podcast or what you heard today www.insideoutthepodcast.com and if you haven't already follow us on instagram is that it erica yeah i think we're done okay we're done